Hey there, lady. My name is Molly Conley, and I'm devoted to helping women reinvent their love lives, whether that's after divorce, dating on and off the apps, or in their committed relationship. Why? Because I've been there. I'm a former college athlete who filed for divorce three years into marriage, swam in the online dating pool into my late 30s, and now I am married to the man of my spreadsheet dreams who I met four months before the world shut down. As a dating and relationship coach, I help my clients shift the focus from being obsessed with finding Mr. Right to shifting to herself as Miss Right Now. We build a foundation filled with clarity, connection, and confidence, knowing she is worth waiting for. Each week on the podcast, I'll bring you love life insights and savvy guests where you will receive the courage to release programmed limiting beliefs. Discover patterns and behaviors restricting you from finding and attracting quality men and ways to choose yourself first so you can build a foundation for a healthy relationship with yourself and a partner. Hey lady, welcome back to the show, Reinventing the Arena. I'm your host, Molly. I, to be honest, wasn't planning on recording an episode today, but here I am still in my pajamas, wrapped in my blanket because it's freezing in my office and I'm enjoying a cup of dark roast coffee. And honestly, like I'm not even done with my morning routine yet, but I am typically a turtle in the morning. So we'll see if I even get through that. (laughs) But today is Groundhog's Day. And if you don't know already, I'm a huge Bill Murray fan. And I kind of have this tradition of watching Ghostbusters on Halloween and watching Groundhog's Day. Well, on Groundhog's Day. In fact, my husband and I are making a a date night of it tonight. Um, But when I found out that today was the 30th anniversary, I knew I needed to hop on and make a quick podcast episode. Why? Well, because there's some life lessons from this movie that, in my opinion, are pretty timeless. And the ones that I'm going to share today are based off of being like semi-romantic, Um, and partnerships, as well as how we treat other people, and even doing some of that deep inner work. But first, let me give you some background of the movie. So this was released back in 1993. And when I was a kid, I liked watching this because I thought Bill Murray was funny for all the different things that happened to him in this movie. Um, Bill Murray played a weatherman in Chicago named Phil Connors. He was sarcastic, um, egotistical. And some people probably even say he's a narcissist, but regardless, he gets stuck in a time loop and he's forced to relive Groundhog's Day over and over again until he becomes a better person, which eventually attracts his newly hired producer, producer, excuse me, Rita to fall in love with him. In fact, Phil gets so annoyed and frustrated that he has to go to Puxatawney, Pennsylvania to record the Groundhog moment. And he is a complete, let me just say, asshole in the beginning of the movie. And you'll see why if you haven't seen it yet. But before he even leaves for Puxatawney, he predicts an early spring. You know, because he's a weatherman. And Phil couldn't wait to get back to Chicago. But he gets in stuck. He gets stuck with the, um, the other two characters. I can't remember the other guy's name. Um, and Rita in their, like, you know, news anchor van stuck in a blizzard on a highway that he forecasted that wasn't even going to hit the area. So they were forced to stay in Puxatawney for a night. 
And so anyways, Phil relives Groundhog's Day, like I said, every single day throughout the movie. And he finds out that he can get away with so many different things and learn a lot of new skills. So he does things like he steals money from one of those armored bank cars. He gets drunk with two locals and he like plays chicken with a train and almost gets arrested for a DUI. But then he also learns how to play the piano and he learns ice sculpting. With all that said, Phil starts to fall for Rita and wants to try to win her over. And so this is where it kind of becomes a love story. No one really knows how long Phil is stuck reliving Groundhog's Day. It's like never even addressed in the movie for some reason, which, you know, I didn't even think about it when I was a kid. I was like, oh, this is just a few days. Like, and he gets all these amazing moments that he gets to relive and people that he gets to meet. But not even the director, Harold Ramis, knew how long Phil was going to be in this time loop. But there's a few different things and different ways that we can estimate this based off of movie scenes and some scientific theories. And quick note, Harold Ramis was an American actor, comedian, and writer, and directed a few other movies. But if you are a Ghostbusters fan, he was Egon, and he paired with appeared with Bill Murray in a few other movies too, like Stripes. So anyways, at first, Harold Ramis estimated that Phil must have been stuck in the time loop for about 10,000 years. <laughs> I can't even imagine. But later on, he guessed that maybe it was 10. Um, there's this pop culture website called whatculture.com, and they decided to run the numbers and see how many times Phil was not only reliving Groundhog's Day, but the other days that were mentioned in the film. And their author of the website, or whoever wrote this article, the author Simon um, Gallagher, said that it was likely that Phil probably spent over 12,000 days stuck in this time loop. So that's about 33 years. This was because Phil was reliving Groundhog's Day almost 38 times the movie, while another 414 days were mentioned in the film. I'm going to be honest with you, I've never really picked up that, that it was that many, but now I'm kind of wondering if I want to figure that out later on tonight. But I know that I would ruin <laughs> the entire movie if I tried to count how many days. So... Gallagher takes into account a, a very popular theory, one that I actually read about from Malcolm Gladwell's book called Outliers. He's also the author of Tipping Point. If you haven't had the chance to read Outliers, he's the same, um, same author. So anyways, Gladwell talks about the idea of having, to, um, having deliberate practice in order to master one subject area, and that can take up to 10,000 hours. So a little bit about that deliberate practice is extremely focused practice. And you actually have like a teacher or someone that is already a master in the craft or has them um, master the craft just even maybe a little bit more than you. So if you are someone that's a former athlete, if you're a musician, if you even if you're now further along in your career, you realize how true this statement could be. So as the movie goes on, Phil ends up mastering things, like I said, the piano, ice sculpting, and even things that Rita loves and enjoys, like French poetry. And this becomes the estimate of those 12,000 days. So here's why I'm bringing this up. Phil really wants to win over Rita's heart, like I mentioned before. And during those 12,000 days, he gets to know her on a deeper level and takes mental note of the things that she likes, things that she dislikes things that she wants to do in her life, her goals, her hopes, her dreams, all of it. 
He wants to get to know her at a deeper level so that he can become the man that she wants. Obviously, if you've hung out with me long enough on this podcast, on my Instagram, you know I don't agree with changing yourself for someone else. In my opinion, this was part of the reason why Phil was stuck in this time loop. He was constantly trying to win her over when he wasn't, you know, just thinking about himself like a self-absorbed narcissist. Eventually, through the movie, you see him start doing, you know, nice things for people. An example would be, oh, this scene where a car of older women, probably like sweet old grandmas, and they get a flat tire out of nowhere. Then somehow Phil just shows up, jacks the car and replaces the tire while the women are even still in the car and they don't even see him until he's actually propping up the car. The women are so happy that he is there to fix their situation. So anyways, there's all these little moments that he goes out of his way to help someone, even a boy that's falling from a tree, even a homeless man um, who at some point dies on Groundhog's Day night. He goes out of his way to help other people, which in turn changes him. There's a few scenes where he ends up telling Rita that he's been reliving Groundhog's Day over and over and over again. And he proves this to her by sitting in this cafe, having breakfast, and going through each and every single person sitting in that cafe, who is from the town that they've never been in, and shares the past of that person or something very unique about them or a situation they recently gone through. So Rita is amazed by how he's able to hypothetically know when something's going to happen and even just all this information about people. And so she starts to believe in him more. As the movie continues, he's almost developed this like perfect day where not only does he save people or help people, but he starts to win Rita over with these small gestures. So obviously I'm now ruining the movie if you haven't seen it, but like I said, go watch it. But at the end, Rita falls in love with Phil for the person he's become. And that's what brings him back into reality to get him out of that time loop. So what are some of the lessons that can be learned from this movie? First, I already kind of mentioned this one. Don't change yourself for someone else. Changing yourself because you want to improve yourself or become a different person is the way to go. In the beginning, like I said, Phil was doing this with Rita and she would think that he was a creep or that he was stalking her. Obviously, then he had to relive Groundhog's Day. Second, when you show up authentically, you have a better chance of finding love. In order to show up authentically, Phil had to learn how to accept himself for who he was and have the awareness that he can then make the change to be something else or someone else. As he kept showing up authentically, he kept on being more vulnerable. And that is one of the ways that Rita became drawn to him. It helped make them have this sense of belonging or even connection together. Number three, you are allowed to change and transform. So as I mentioned in the previous one about showing up authentically, when you have the awareness of who you are right now and accepting who you are right now, you now have the power of choice. You can either stay where you are or you could, you know, make a new choice to change your life, your situation, and transform it into where you want to be and who you want to become. Number four, develop the awareness that everything we do affects someone else. Kind of jumping off of number three here, having the awareness, the self-awareness, that we can change and make new choices after learning self-acceptance. Like, in my opinion, they go hand in hand, yet sometimes one comes before the other. But when we not only 
accept ourselves and have the awareness of others, we start to develop an awareness of the impact we have on others, which can be like both negative, positive, or even sometimes just neutral. And dealing with other people's expectations as well as our own on how people will react or how we impact them is a whole new level of awareness, which is called like the awareness of reality. Because what is true for you is not always true for another person. For example, as Phil develops his level of self-awareness and self-acceptance, he sees the impact that he has on other people. And he sees his reality, which is that he's staying in this time loop. It's not what other people are experiencing, though. And he's still able to accept the reality is different and enjoy what he's doing in the moment as the movie continues. Number five, learn how to be present and enjoy the little moments. Because as you can see with Phil, they sure do add up to something greater over time. Obviously jumping off from number four, as Phil starts to develop this level of self-awareness of what's true for him and true for others, which is like the awareness of reality, he's able to accept again that these people aren't in the same sort of reality that he's living in. So by doing this, he's able to be present in the moment and being present in the moment, he's able to enjoy those small things and appreciate them in a whole new way. By doing this, Phil helps, you know, a whole new level of gratitude for all the different things he experiences and all the different interactions he has with people. Overall, this makes him more attractive to Rita, who now seems Phil in a different light because he's different than who he was in Chicago, you know, the day before. Do you see how all of this is overlapping? <laughs> Last but not least, take the opportunity to tell people how they're important to you or that they are just important to you. Phil is quote unquote lucky enough that he's able to relive each day over and over and over again, giving him the opportunity to tell people every single day that he loves her and appreciates them. Does he do this often? No. Does he do it by the end of the movie? Yeah, in his own way he does. Personally, I feel that this is an area that sometimes we get too busy and caught up in our own lives that we just don't say it enough to the people we truly love and appreciate. Well, lady, thank you so much for hanging out with me on this Groundhog's Day and this extra special episode of the 30th anniversary and the lessons learned from the movie. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, I would love to hear about it. Um, please leave me a review. It takes a few days, if sometimes not a week or so, for reviews to show up on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Now, if you've never watched Groundhog's Day and you do end up watching it after listening to this, please send me a message on Instagram at Reinventing the Arena. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the movie, maybe some of your favorite moments, or maybe a big takeaway that I might not have mentioned. So, with that said, ladies, I will talk to you next week. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Okay, so it's no surprise, but I love sharing personal stories with you ladies, and this one includes a product. In 2021, I tried Dry January for the first time, and it was tough. Fast forward to 2022, and I thought it was going to be easier, but it wasn't. I couldn't find anything, literally anything that tasted good to replace my favorite cocktail or a glass of wine. So for months, I was still looking because I wanted something to replace the beverage whenever I wanted. Then moment appeared and I fell in love. It's a botanical water, either still or sparkling with no artificial flavors, no caffeine and no added sugar. 
Instead, they have refreshing fruit flavors, healthy botanicals, and adaptogens. Some of my favorite flavors are blueberry ginger, spiced mango, and blood orange. I always keep them on hand for those nights when I like to sip a cocktail or have a glass of wine, but rather not deal with any of those side effects of alcohol. You know what I'm talking about, the headache the dehydration, the horrible night's sleep, the hangover, and whatever else may come your way. If you're looking for an alcoholic replacement for a dry January or just because, check out Moment. Here's some fun facts. 1% of all their sales goes to mental health nonprofits, and they were on Shark Tank. If you want to give them a try, use my promo code reinventingthearena at checkout for 15% off. The link is in the show notes.